We continue of our series seeking spiritual renewal and revival and reflecting on how this is not just something we passively just wait to come and uh, or ask to come and sweep over us. It does involve self-reflection and uh, on occasions to, um, to respond to where some of those reflections take us. And today I want to focus on the whole idea of seeking spiritual renewal and revival in the context where we may have made a, um, a foolish start, made a misstep, and uh, how we need to seek God's ability or God's uh, assurance that we can reboot, restart ourselves. I want to start when I was reflecting on um, those moments in life where we might ask ourselves, what was I thinking and I didn't have to think far. The past week, last Saturday, not yesterday, long weekend, uh, Daniel and Jess said, Dad, we're going to come and help you to rebuild the deck at Clayton Bay. It's about 10 years old. It needs to be replaced. So we'll come and take it out and we'll put a new deck in together. So my responsibility in the proceedings was to get the planks for the new deck. And I thought, that's terrific. I can go to the all new Bunnings at Victor Harbour. If you haven't been there and if you're an officiario of, of Bunnings, it's an excellent Bunnings. Got the full range. And uh, I thought, okay, well, I, last time I did, I measured the planks. I knew how long they had to be. I knew they could just fit on the trailer legally. Um, 5.4 metres, measured the back axle. Yes, it's all legal, flag at the back. What could go wrong? Well, I probably should have checked a few things first. Um, first of all, that these eco-deck planks that I chose are a wonderful new recycled product. It's a composite product. You don't have to oil or paint them at all. So they're 10 years, maintenance-free, 10 years plus. Sounds terrific. Um, so I thought, OK, I'll just get 27 eco-planks. Looked it up online. They had them at Bunnings. Not a problem. 22 kilos. Sure, I can lift 22 kilos. That's not a problem. Uh, well, first of all, I discovered when I got to Bunnings, and fortunately it was a very helpful uh, man assisting me with querying eyes as we put these planks on the trailer, um, getting the balance all sorted. Uh, totally legal, just reminding ourselves. 22 kilos. Actually, when you think about it, that's the weight of your luggage when you can go on a plane. You know, the luggage that you can just lift to get up onto the waiting... So imagine 27 of those bags in a trailer up high. Probably not the best idea I've come up with as well. My learning was that these planks also bow quite spectacularly. And as they bow, they also slide quite spectacularly. So I launched myself out driving back at 50 kilometres per hour from Victor Harbour, pulling over every kilometre or two for the queue of cars that were behind me. So I went over, checked, and got halfway back, just turned on to Winery Road, and the trailer was doing this strange sort of fishtail movement behind me. I thought, that can't be good. So I pulled over the side. Fortunately, there was nothing other traffic around at that stage and discovered that some of the planks were going further and further back and the centre of gravity was going further and further back and I had better totally re do the planks. It took me an hour and a half 
to do the planks and to get them back into balance and to remedy all the problems in the shift. So by the time I eventually arrived home, uh, Fiona was there waiting for me uh, with a cup of tea, I think. Um, it was a nightmare. I will never do that again. Uh, never again. So hence, probably wasn't thinking overly when I was asking myself the question, what was I thinking? We all have those moments in life. Sometimes it's an occasion such as that and we just pray. I did a lot of prayer on Winery Road just to <laughs> get me home. Um, and we got there safely and I didn't lose the whole load, which was terrific. And the deck actually looks wonderful. And Eco Deck is a great product, by the way. But just do ask Bunnings to deliver. Just, just saying. But we have moments in life where we ask ourselves and reflect, what was I thinking? And there is a serious moment in Abram's life. In fact, there's a number of Abram's moments where we'd ask ourselves, what were you thinking, Abram, that we had recorded in the first of the Bible readings this morning from Genesis 12? Now, put in the context, God has reached down and called Abram and his wife, Sarai, um, from the Ur, of the, and the Ur is over near um, with the rivers of, of uh, Iraqa, and to travel up the river system and then come back down the coast and eventually had reached the promised land. And God had walked them through the promised land and they'd settled, but they were still a, a small, very small family, and it was just uh, Sarah and Abram. They had no children. A severe famine hit, which is not unknown in that part of the world. And so many people made their way to Egypt. Again, was quite common because of the river, uh, the Nile and the River Delta. Um, Egypt often had grain and things available when everyone else didn't. That in itself is not unusual. But Abram wasn't just going just to stock up with some grain or some food. He was, he was going to stay in Egypt for the foreseeable future, which was putting the promise of the land in peril. But it gets to the stage when about to enter into Egypt. And uh, Abram looked at his wife, Sarah, and said, Gosh, you're beautiful. It wasn't actually a compliment to, to Sarah so much. It was more a fear. It wasn't just that Abram thought she was beautiful. She really was. And his fear began to strike him. I thought, well... Uh, Pharaoh will see how beautiful you are and want you for himself and he might kill me as a result. So he comes up with this plan. He said, what I want you to do, and by the way, Sarah is totally silent in these episodes. He, he can't blame it on Sarah at all. In fact, she's put in a dreadful situation. It's a totally patriarchal scenario. And says... You mustn't tell anyone that you're my wife. Just tell them that you're my sister. Now, it's actually a half-truth. They shared the same father. But it was more the deceit behind it. And sure enough, when they arrived, the Egyptians looked at Sarah and said, she's beautiful. Surely Pharaoh will be interested in having her. And so the word got around and said, who is she? Well, he's Abram's sister. So Pharaoh took her into his household, into his harem. Now, it's interesting that in these sagas, the repetition of foolishness is, is not hidden. 
And the way the narrative is told, and even though some interpreters try to twist it as though um, it's some sort of honourable thing that Abraham's doing, there's nothing honourable about what Abraham is doing here. He's putting his wife into position to go into someone else's harem as a wife and all that comes with that. These, just to step back for a moment, the early chapters of Genesis, 1 to 11, are in a form of um, genre that we might say is similar to the Dreamtime stories. We can read them in that sort of sense that the, these stories have a deeper truth and what we are to look for is the deeper truth. From Genesis 12 now until the end of Genesis, the genre changes and it becomes the form of family sagas where you tell the story of your, your parents and your grandparents and others and with all the good, bad and ugly. And it's interesting that these stories would have been told, passed on verbally from one generation to the next. So they're written in a way in which they're quite memorable in those moments and as they rehearse it. I do remember a number of years ago here at St Matthew's, we uh, used to have an annual event called Youth Focus Sunday and the youth would lead all our services, would do a terrific job. A couple of our seniors who are no longer with us um, said, well, if we have Youth Focus Sunday, why can't we have a Seniors Focus Sunday? You can imagine those conversations, can't you? And uh, some of our seniors... uh, I didn't really trust the service to. I have to be honest. I wouldn't say it to their face, but I thought, how about we interview you? Um, because they do like their stories at length. So uh, we had a photo, actually, of, of a number of them in the choir back in the, the late 1920s, leaning on a gate at the front of St Matthew's. And they came, okay, we'll come and ask you about what it was it like to be part of the, the choir and to be part of St Matthew's when you were youngsters. And they loved the question. They invited their grandchildren to come and hear. And as they told their stories of how you can crawl up behind the pipes of the organ and, and as you can chase possums and all the other events they got up to, their grandchildren's eyes were getting wider and wider and wider. Well, these stories were passed on. Abram's stories were passed on from generation to generation. You can imagine the grandchildren hearing it and saying, what were you thinking as they continue. And now, therefore, the family's learning. Don't repeat the same mistake again. So, Abram's idea was to disguise the fact that Sarah was his wife, and so she's taken into Pharaoh's harem. Interestingly, the character who emerges with most honour in the story is Pharaoh. When he discovers that this is not Abram's Sarah, at least it's Abram's wife, he's horrified. But he doesn't then kill Abram, as Abram had feared. He's actually morally outraged. How could you have sent your wife into my harem? That is the wrong thing to do. And even more so, the way in which the narrative is written makes it fairly clear that not only had Abram allowed Sarah to go into Pharaoh's harem, he had received the bride price for her. That is to say, when one family allows one of the family members, a female, to go into someone else's household, 
You get paid a bride price. Like he received all the cattle and the sheep and servants and others as a result. Pharaoh was outraged to say, what were you thinking? Go! And so Abram and Sarah fled together with all the possessions that they had. It doesn't reflect well on Abram at all. In fact, it's one of a series of misadventures or missteps that Abram make. He then goes into a discussion with his nephew Lot about the land, the land that God had promised him and his offspring. And he gave Lot the choice and said, okay, which would you like to choose? It wasn't for Abram to give him that choice. At a later event, when you read the sagas, when you even if you heard them read dramatically in chapter 20 of Genesis, Abram does it again. In another context, he says to Sarah, okay, this pretend to be my sister. Again, he does the same thing. Does he not learn? How are God's purposes going to continue? So when we come to chapter 15 and have the establishment of the covenant between Abram and Sarah, it's not that things have been going swimmingly well for Abram and he's made such a great job. He's actually made an absolute mess of it. And God gives him a chance to reset. The first half of Genesis 15 concerns the offspring. Abram says, I haven't got any children. How can I have an... A land to give them when there's no children to give them the land. And God says, trust me, I will provide for you. Your children and the children's children and the children of your children will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. The second half of the chapter concerns the land. And again, at this stage, they own nothing in the land. They are sojourners. And God says, but I will give you this land. It will take time. And it says it'll be 400 years. There'll be a period in which the family are living elsewhere. Exactly what happened when it comes to the time in Egypt um, in Exodus. Now, the ritual of establishing a covenant is pretty foreign to us. Pretty sure we don't do anything like it in our Western culture today. But it's a form of covenant in which there are solemn undertakings. There's a pledge, a commitment. And it says if you... If I fail to keep this covenant, then there will be consequences. There will be punishments that I will receive, I can incur if I fail to honour this covenant. Rather than going through the details of just how it was enacted, what is striking and what is quite notable is where was Abram when God was passing through in this moment? Abram was fast asleep as God intended it to be. He said, while Abram was deeply asleep, in fact, he was in a dark place in his sleep, God passed through in the symbolic sense. God's presence conveyed and made the covenant, the commitment to Abraham. Now, you can't get more passive than being fast asleep during a ceremony or a church service or anything else. In this case, God has pledged himself, made a commitment to Abram. That is, if it is to have any integrity to it, it is grounded entirely on God's pledge and commitment. At later stages in the biblical narrative, there's various events where God is sorely tempted to give up on the people of Israel, 
Time and time again, they're rebellious, they grumble, they do all sorts of uh, foolish things. And a few occasions, the narrator says, God says, that's it, I'm over. And on one occasion, Moses came back to him. On other occasions, some of the prophets did and said, no, actually, you can't do that. You have made a pledge to Abram and to his children. We are his children. And God honours that pledge and promise. Into the New Testament, that promise is then conveyed to all those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. We are, in that sense, heirs of the same promise that God made to Abram in Genesis 15. So how does this help us when it comes to reflecting on spiritual renewal and revival? Well, one aspect of renewal and revival is to learn the lessons of foolishness and not to repeat them. I give you a solemn undertaking to these people at St Matthews, I will never again put 27 planks of EcoDeck on my trailer and try and convey it. You can hold me to that one. Learn the lessons. And these episodes are given for the learning of God's covenant people. So four things that came to mind and I reflect on this example of the foolishness of Abram. First of all, there is the danger of contriving to try and bring about God's promises in our own means. If we seek to, to make them happen, you know, because I know I've prayed about it, I know God has promised that he'll provide all that we need, but I've just got a plan B in my pocket. And, if, you know, I'll just start on the plan B and if God comes up with the goods, then well and good. The danger is, not just personally, but we as a church need to be very mindful that if we seek to do anything other than in and through God's wisdom and provision and the shared wisdom we have as a community, the chances are it'll end badly, as it did for Abram. We cannot contrive the promises of God ourselves. We must be looking only towards the way in which God is at work. Secondly, there is the danger of deceit and half-truths. Abram told a half-truth, and even though we know that deceit is not good, there is an amazing pressure at times to just get into that misinformation space and not tell the complete story and to uh, omit to provide some significant information or even to convince ourselves that there are occasions in which a white lie doesn't really matter that much. What does it really matter? That is dangerous and that is why the whole notion of uh, transparency and accountability and allowing others to, to, to reflect on what we are doing is a good and healthy practice, both personally and as a church, that has been one of the biggest and most painful learnings of the last few decades as the church has not been fully disclosing the realities about abuse that has happened in the midst of the church. And that has been disastrous and others have suffered as a result. Who suffered through the half-truth that Sarah was asked to make? Sarah suffered. 
She was put in an awful situation, sent off into Pharaoh's harem as his wife, with all that that implies. Thirdly, there is the danger of the concern we have for our reputation. What will people think of me? Again, that is an incredibly powerful impulse that drives a lot of us. Pretty much, I suspect, all of us. We want to be well thought of, and that's understandable, but not when it comes to putting up an impressive front to be focused on ensuring that our reputation is intact, no matter whatever the reality is. That is so much the way of our wider world, whether it's in politics or whether it's in uh, public esteem and those who are in and those who are out, those who are honoured and those who are shamed. Those impulses are strong and they're no less strong within the church. We have our own honour and shame culture within churches. That can be incredibly dangerous. If our concern for reputation is greater than our concern of what God makes of us, then we are in trouble. Where there is an enormous disconnect between our private life and the way we present in public, that is a massive red flag for us to be aware of. And finally, the fear of people. Abram was fearful of the Egyptians, fearful of Pharaoh. And as I said, ironically, when Pharaoh discovered the, the deceit, he didn't kill uh, Abram. He sent him on his way with a moral outrage. There's a whole tranche of biblical material in the, in, under the category of wisdom, known as the wisdom literature, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, uh, parts in Job, and uh, some of the Psalms are wisdom Psalms. Jesus talks a lot about wisdom about the foolish man and the wise man and those different narratives. book of James talks a lot about wisdom. Each of them grounded that the fear of the Lord, the respect, the awe of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. And it must be always before we fear others. If we are concerned first and foremost to do the right thing before God, That is the beginning of wisdom. If we do things driven by fear of what what others may do, it just becomes a crippling state of being of mind. So, in the context of seeking renewal and revival, I think from these episodes, it says that the way of wisdom is the way to seek renewal and revival. Hearing, listening, living out the wisdom, the truth, the instructions of God, living God's way. So we do have our part to play. We can't continue to make foolish choices and decisions and act in ways which are um, deceitful and expect renewal and revival to come at the same time. There'll be a number of times in our journey as we seek renewal and revival where we stop and reflect. And it may be that God is calling us to say, you are seeking renewal and revival, there are some areas where we need to amend our ways, change our patterns, and to seek to learn from the foolishness of the past. Amen.